Innovation happens at breakneck speed in digital health. In fact, things change so fast it can be tough to stay in the know. I looked and looked for a podcast that was dedicated to showcasing the hottest products, companies, and trends, and it didn't exist. So I created it. This is the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health, and I'm your host, Mike Moore. Welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health. I've got a guest here today, Dr. Randy Moore, no relation to myself. Dr. Moore is an associate professor of vascular and endovascular surgery at the uh, University of Calgary, also uh, CMO and founder at Vita Medical. Randy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here. And just a bit of good news and an update. So I've been promoted to full professor of surgery. So Fantastic. Fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, I'm sure that was long overdue. You and I met, I think it was LSI earlier this year, and um, I watched the presentation. It was, um, you know, to say I was blown away was an understatement. I probably came on a little strong when you and Bob and Mitch and I got together at the bar afterwards, uh, but I couldn't wait to get you guys on here as a guest and to hopefully be involved in the company at some level because I, I just absolutely love what you guys are doing. A brief synopsis of it would be a software as a medical device that offers precision, personalized medicine to non-invasively map the strength and weakness of abdominal aortic aneurysms. Before we get into the tech, I always love for guests to tell a little bit about the origin story. Yours is, is such a unique one. So I'll let you kind of take the floor there and just tell us how this whole thing got started. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Mike, and happy to share the story. I've been in practicing vascular surgeon for 26 years, and my focus has almost exclusively been on repairs of the abdominal aorta, which, as you know, are dilations of the major blood vessel in the body. And of course, if they get too big, they can rupture. The analogy I like to use is an old tire tube. And of course, patients are aware of the risk of rupture. So, you know, my journey with Vita, the company that uh, we're talking about, the software that we're we're dealing with. My journey with Vita really began in earnest 15 years ago when a young patient of mine died. And uh, he wasn't supposed to die. I mean, I saw him two weeks before his death in the clinic with his family. He was a pillar of our local community, a very well-established, successful businessman. And, and uh, he had a small aortic aneurysm. And according to the current guidelines that, that my specialty uses to help determine when to intervene on these patients, according to those guidelines, I was doing the right thing by telling him to go home and not to worry. Well, two weeks later, he came in, ruptured, and I did my very, very best to save his life, Mike. But as he was dying on my operating room table, I put my hands inside his abdomen and felt his aorta, and his tissues basically fell apart in my hand. And, you know, after I got over sort of the shock and had to deal with the family grief, you know, it occurred to me that if I'd had the capacity to feel his aorta virtually before I made the decision to send him home that day in the office, I would have made a different decision and I could have saved his life. And I promised myself and all the future patients that I would see that I would come up with a better solution. And so we've been addicted to this idea that size somehow predicts risk. And the problem with that, Mike, is that that's population-based data. That's data from you know thousands of people. And we try to apply statistical risk to the patient in front of us. And the challenge with that, of course, is that that means nothing to the individual patient. Uh, statistically, your risk might be 5%, but if you're one of those 5%, your risk is 100%. So, so <laughs> right. I, I, want it to be, I want it to be more precise. And so precision care and artificial intelligence are two of my passions. And uh, it just so happened that they aligned properly with regards to this particular problem and this particular patient. 
and it kickstarted a 15-year search to find the right partners. I managed to find one in my co-founder, uh, Dr. DiMartino, the engineering brains behind this technology. And we now have a solution such that I can actually virtually touch a patient's aorta before I make a decision about what to do with them next. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's neat to, when, when I hear stories like this, where the patient, when the founder, you know, has spent that period of time working on something, cause it's a body of work, right? I mean, this is, this concept has been in your, in your mind for probably longer as a physician than it hasn't. That's exactly right. Would be my guess. So obviously that story really outlined the clinical need, but Tell us a little bit about the problem you're trying to solve. Uh, we've we've talked in the past about your experiences at, at the last VEATH meeting, but yes. w- what's the community saying out there about the way they're, they're practicing medicine and what's missing? Sure, Mike. So maybe what I'll do is I'll just, if you don't mind, I'll uh, I'll share my screen and just Absolutely. help to uh, help to sort of highlight where that's going. So yeah, can you see that okay, Mike? Yeah, it's pulling up right now. Yeah, we've got it. Okay, so fantastic. So since the beginning of of time, and by that I mean the early 1950s when aneurysms really began to be treated in earnest, since the beginning of that time, there's literature out there that suggests that the bigger the aneurysm, the more likely it is to rupture. And there's no question that your risk does increase as the aneurysm gets larger. The problem is that, that you can also rupture at a smaller size. And so for 60 years, the criteria that I and other surgeons in this space use to decide whether or not to intervene has been the size of the aorta. And we've arbitrarily drawn a line in the sand saying that, you know, at a certain size, we should fix and below that size, we should sit tight. And the problem is that, you know, basing your decision on a single diameter measure that's derived from populations of patients doesn't tell you a thing about the individual patient. And so the SVS guidelines, the Society for Vascular Surgery and the ACA guidelines, the American Cardiology Association, have all recommended using these size guidelines to help you decide when to intervene. The problem is that some of these patients are going to fall below those lines and die, like my young patient. And this data is now over 50 years old. It hasn't changed. And in fact, it's so weak that the SVS most recent guidelines have now suggested that clinicians need to come up with a better solution. And, you know, our technology is that very solution. So instead of just looking at the size of your aorta, and basing a decision on, you know, hordes of patients elsewhere, I have a technology that can now map your individual aortic wall strength. So I can now sit down with you as a patient and actually go through your aorta and tell you what your aorta is likely to do. We Not can- just what these guidelines arbitrarily think is going to happen with, Absolutely. The, the, with the, the average aorta. That's a great way to put it, Mike, the average. I mean, that's the, exactly right. So we're using the law of averages to say, well, on average, an aorta that looks like yours won't rupture. Well, the problem is it could. And in fact, now that I've got these maps, what's most alarming to me is, uh, you know, when I sit down with patients that in the past I would have said, hey, don't worry about it. I now have patients that I sit down and say, listen, your aorta is at high risk. There's a bunch of weak spots here. You know, we should change it up. And and this is where we want to see this technology go moving forward. Mike, we're in the middle of, you know, regulatory applications to make sure that we're providing the correct information. But we have spent the better part of the last five years with high tech software engineering to try to get this to the point where we, we know this is going to change the way that vascular care is administered. If you're telling a patient, hey, you need surgery, 
and that patient saying, well, okay, what makes you say that, doc? You can actually go in and show them, right, with you know the heat maps and whatnot of, hey, here's why you need surgery. Here's why another physician that doesn't have the purview of this information might say you don't need surgery, but here's specifically what's going on with your... So it, it really is precision medicine. The, the heat mapping component of it, I think, is, is, is really dynamic, if you could walk us through that. Absolutely, Mike. So uh, this slide in particular is one that I, I find very impactful. So if you look at the bottom right, the two rotating aortas. So yep. these, are aor these are aortas from two of our partner American study sites. And according to you know historical SVS criteria, these two patients have identical aortas. So if you, if you relied on the old guidelines, the size-based guidelines, they both have aneurysms that are 5.3 centimeters. Both of these aortas are under currently prescribed size criteria for repair. But you can see very clearly that by using our technology, stating that these two patients have identical aortas is completely false. The patient on the left has a very hot aorta, bright green and yellow spots indicate weakness, whereas the patient on the right has very cool aorta and therefore stronger. And so despite the fact that these patients have identical sizes, they have very different aortic wall characteristics. And this is the kind of information that you can now use to precisely determine what to do next. Yeah, it's it's very similar. I would say it's very akin to, in cardiology, the, the, the holy grail has always been, okay, two patients have a lesion. One is vulnerable plaque. One is not vulnerable plaque. They haven't really solved that riddle too well in cardiology, but it seems like it would be an exact like-for-like like analogy here, only you guys have an answer for it. Absolutely. So that's what we plan to see. In fact, we've rolled this out through a number of clinical applications. So we actually published on the first ever rupture, the patient up at the top left, that bright red spot was exactly where the patient ruptured. So we, we, we see this rolled in with our AI components, being able to predict rupture down the road. We're also using it to plan endovascular procedures. So at the top right here, you see an aortic neck analysis. This is where the stent actually has to seat for an endovascular repair. And if that area is weak, then it, you, you may need to adjust your surgical strategy. And in the bottom left, we also use our technology to follow these patients after a stent's been placed to tell us whether or not the wall still has elevated levels of peak strain, which then should guide you in terms of next steps for care. So really what we've done, Mike, using our technologies, created a tool that can be used at every step along that aortic care continuum. So in addition to providing you with intel around the patient's wall characteristics, you can use it sort of before, during, and after surgical intervention. That's incredible. So one of the things that I always think is important to talk about with this type of technology, because, you know, there's there's all kinds of security issues with hospitals and whatnot. And I know you guys have had gone to great lengths to ensure this is not only secure, but one of the things that I think is unique and maybe the best way to, to, to ask the question is, so let's say you get an account that signs up then what? This is not an on-prem software. This is all cloud-based. So there's very, and you guys have extensive security firewalls in place to ensure that the information is secure. And I believe the information even goes up anonymously, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, but walk us through kind of, okay. So like, you know, I'm NYU hospital. I decide we want to deploy this software. How does it go? Sure. Absolutely. What I'll do then, Mike, is I'll just uh, go back to uh, screen share and just share you, share one slide with you to sort of uh, walk you through the actual steps. We were very careful when we developed this software to make sure it fits seamlessly into the natural workflow of the clinician that's going to be using this stuff. So and that's uh, important. That's important because better isn't always better. 
it's got to be equivalent workflow or easier and better for you to really achieve mass adoption in, in today's market. I, that's my experience. That's absolutely 100% correct, Mike. So basically having me on board uh, and partnering with our software engineering team meant that I could shut them down if they were going down a pathway. I mean, software engineers will give you every every widget that you can imagine. But in the end, what I wanted was not to interrupt my daily workflow. So we have zero hospital footprint. This is all cloud-based. And basically what we do is when an account signs up, we install on their server our web app. So their web app exists on their server, on their desktop. And basically after they obtain a standard CT scan, which is part of every vascular surgeon's daily workflow, that's and every CT. time that patient comes in, exactly. they get another CT scan to Absolutely. update on where they're, what their aorta, how, what changes have happened or whatever. Absolutely. So built into our software is a comparative analysis tool as well. So you can wow. look at, at, at size, strain, changes in strain, uh, diameters, et cetera, and your, your peak wall strength. So basically from that CT scan image, we drag and drop onto the uh, web app. It's automatically uploaded to the cloud in a HIPAA compliant fashion. And we party with a third party consultant team that basically attempts to uh, to hack us literally every month. And so we actually hire them to try to, to destroy us. And uh, we've passed every test with glowing colors so far. So we're HIPAA compliant. And then within roughly an hour, right now we're down into the 35 minute range, the end user will get a notification on their server, on their browser, that the report is ready to download. And we spend a huge amount of time developing the user interface. We've done some user applicability studies in the US with the KOLs. And so we've set up a user interface that's completely interactive. The clinician can download whatever pieces of information they want. They can manipulate the study. And what I really wanted to achieve was that virtual touch, putting your hand inside the patient's abdomen, rolling their aorta around, getting a visual 3D map. I tell my trainees that to be a successful surgeon, you really need to approach the patient with the three-dimensional map of their pathology in your head so that this tool allows you to do that. And again, there's no hospital footprint. This is all done in the cloud. And so we, we can scale up almost immediately and provide rapid turnaround service within that currently down to about 35 minutes. You know, everybody's always trying to decrease that time of pro with pro, I think they call it processing time. What's the target? Well, so 35 minutes is still even today. It's very fast. Very, very fast. And particularly with the with the depth of analysis that we provide. If you compare it to other tools, for example, like Terra Recon, which is a 3D mapping tool, does not provide any wall strength characteristics. But a Terra Recon study for you to download that, and manipulate it, that will take roughly 30 minutes. So yep. we're already within the ballpark with uh, other market competitors. But more importantly, as we continue to improve our AI, as it relates to segmentation and processing time, our expectation is that we'll be able to get this down to nearly instantaneous. Wow. And it's important to point out that the level of information that you're providing versus a Terra Recon is significantly greater. It's not just a like for like. It's you guys are providing the actual integrity of the wall, not just the, the actual structure of the wall. Absolutely. And we're also fully aware of the fact that, you know, one of the things that clinicians need is those actual measurements, those diameter, length, width, yep. angles. So we, were, we, we basically focused on building what we, what we sort of called colloquially Terra Recon Plus. So we do provide all of those tools. We can still give you instantaneous measurements with single click, drag and drop. In fact, I've always found Terra Recon somewhat cumbersome. And so our, our stent planning software, for example, is instantaneous uh, drag and drop click with instantaneous volume, angle, length measurements. So we're Terra Recon Plus. We provide the clinician with wall strength analysis. And on top of this, Mike, and this is really exciting, 
we built this around a complete AI platform. So not only can I give you the instantaneous map that you see being manipulated there on the right, but I can now provide you with predictive capacity. So you can then look down the road and sit down with that patient and say, this is what your aorta looks like today. And this is what it'll look like in 12 months. Wow. You know, we always go back to the argument, right? The, the old, it's, uh, it's got to have a clinical value proposition, which I think we've demonstrated that it's got to have an economic value proposition to achieve massive scale, which, I mean, I see a number of different angles that you, that, that you guys are approaching this from. Obviously, you know, you're saving lives, but also, you know, long-term, what's the lifetime cost of the patient, of caring for the patient? Would this also potentially replace, and I might be getting a little over my skis, but could this replace using Terra Recon in the workflow of the vascular surgeon or the endovascular physician? That's our hope and expectation, Mike. I mean, we, we want a one-stop shop. So basically, if you click right. on our if you click on our icon on your desktop, you're going to get all the measurements that you can currently achieve. On top of that, you're going to get a precision-based aortic wall assessment and a down-the-road predictive map. So, I mean, from from my perspective as a clinician, and clearly I'm, I'm this is a biased statement. I'm a co-founder in the company, but from my point of view, this is this is one-stop shop. I get all the information I need for this patient's particular aortic process. Remember that Terra Recon is, is, and again, I don't mean to disparage them. I, I, we've worked closely with Terra Recon. We have some good friends there. Um, yeah. It's really a fancy ruler, right? Terra Recon's a fancy ruler. Right. And you may not know this, but in the early days of endovascular surgery, we used to take standard imaging plates, put them up on a view box, and then use mathematical calipers to measure and come yep. up with, with, well, Terra Recon is a fancy mathematical caliper, very fancy, but it does not provide you with anything other than, again, diameters, measurements, which are population-based and have little to do with the actual risk that the patient's experiencing. Yep, absolutely. You know, another thing comes in mind, I don't know what the incentives are around decreasing readmissions in the uh, in the Canadian market, but I know down here that's, you know, with value-based care and whatnot, it's a huge, huge issue. I've got to think that those this would impact those metrics here in the United States. You know, it doesn't look good for a hospital if they've, you know, if they had a patient and they send them home and then they come back, you know, with a ruptured aorta two weeks later. So I think there's a component of that as well. Absolutely, Mike. And, you know, one of the things that that the uh, FDA has done in November of 2021, they actually commissioned a panel and met with representatives of some of the leading endovascular stent graft companies and industry leaders in the space. And basically they threw down the gauntlet and said, you guys need to come up with a better solution for the high rates of reintervention that we're observing or some of our approvals may be at risk. And right. so they, they really dropped the they really dropped their gloves to use hockey language. And so, you know, what we can do, for example, is we can tell the hospital which of those type two endoleaks need to be treated and which don't. 40% of all patients undergoing endovascular repair have as their primary cost the secondary interventions that are accrued after the fact. And if you can reduce most of those type two endoleaks to only those patients that require specific intervention. Right off the top, you're knocking 15, 20% off the off the post hoc cost that's associated with the technology. Yeah. You guys have, I know you've been on the road show with this, you know, at a lot of them, and I mentioned Veeth and some of the other bigger meetings. What's the reception been? Yeah. I, I mean, I get inundated. Uh, Mike, uh, you know, m- my CEO jokingly says we're going to have to start coming with some security to these meetings. Uh, <laughs> we, can, we can pull you out of the crowd. KOLs are, KOLs are overwhelmed. I mean, there's a huge hunger out there. The bar has been pretty low. I mean, if you look at, at you know, the, the size data that's 50, 60 years old, 
And the fact that, you know, up to 15% of aneurysms rupture below the size criteria that are recommended, you know, this, there's a huge untapped niche that we actually fill. I mean, you know, clinicians are hungry for more intel. This gives them the intelligence they need to make a decision about the individual patient. Maybe that means shortening the interval of, of observation till the next scan. Maybe that means early surgical intervention. As we continue to roll out our data from our prospective registry studies and our research use only program that we've rolled out across the U.S., we expect to see more and more of that data to help fine tune our AI-based algorithms. And we're going to get more and more accurate. We're already very accurate. We're going to get even better. That's great. Where is it at from a regulatory perspective? We've met with the FDA on a number of occasions. We had a, a number of very, very productive uh, meetings with the FDA. They've they've really looked at, at us with sort of a partnership view in mind. Yeah. It's been very, very productive. They've given us guidance along the step. We've uh, updated our most recent regulatory strategy, and we're scheduling another series of meetings with them in this uh, next year, fiscal year. We've also partnered with a third-party reimbursement consultant, and uh, the SVS CPT and Reimbursement Board has met with us and, and has agreed to take us forward at the next CMS application. We're going to go after a Category 3 temporary code, Mike, just so we can get something on the books for clinicians and then move forward uh, with our application for a Category 1 eventually, much like HeartFlow did in the, in the yep. same space. And so, you know, having that, that third-party consultation with experts in this space is, is where to go. You know, the FDA has been very receptive and, and recently there's been a real push towards accepting AI-based technology. And there's an entire subgroup at the FDA level looking at AI technology in the vascular space. So they, they definitely are receptive to this sort of new technology. Lots of slow steps because, you know, AI can be a bit terrifying to people that don't understand exactly what it can do for you. Chat GPT is a good example. I think people have appropriately pulled back a bit from, from some of the early enthusiasm. Yep. No, most definitely. When do you guys anticipate that uh, there could be that we could see something like this on the market? Right. So we're, we're, our expectation is we should have approval for our first low-level IFU indication for use by the end of next year. So 2024 end. Our expectation is third or fourth quarter. We should be we should have approval. That's great. And then what would the the secondary app, uh, indication? Yeah, so the initial indication has to do with the uh, with the raw strength and wall mapping, Mike, and then secondarily we'll move on to our predictive predictive yeah. element. And and the, and the reason for that is that you know to really fine tune that piece of the of the puzzle, you want to have a huge amount of data. So right now we're very very data hungry company, and that's why we've partnered with up to forty sites in the U.S. now rolling out our research use only program. So this basically gets our technology into the hand of KOL so they can start using it, get comfortable with it, get familiar with it, and see what it can do for them. It's phenomenal. That's great. I guess I'll ask a question this the, the most simplest way possible. And I want to be respectful of your time. So we'll wrap up on this. But what prevents somebody from just knocking off the outgo? Right. No, I hear what you're saying. Well, you know, I, and I've been asked that question many times. Not, you know, whenever you go through due diligence, that's the first thing investors want funding, to know. Yeah. Anytime you're <laughs> talking about funding, people want to know how protected yeah. is this? Yeah. So we, we have an extensive IP portfolio, we have an entire legal team devoted exclusively to IP, both here in Canada and in the U.S. Our RP has been assessed. We've gone through a couple of very rigid due diligence processes, and, and, and all the VC firms that we've dealt with have felt very comfortable with our IP portfolio. But, but aside from that, Mike, and we didn't talk about this, but this took 15 years of research, which included you know linking our algorithms back to actual tissue strength. And so we started with the tissue and then moved into the algorithms. 
it'd be very difficult for somebody to, to, to pirate that or reverse engineer that without having gone through that step. Other people have tried using things like finite element analysis, which basically guesses as to the strength of the aortic wall and then adds a series of assumptions. And that's why some of the FEA data just has never borne out clinically. We started with tissue and then went forward into the algorithms. So it, it would be, you know, not, nothing's impossible, obviously, but it would be a very difficult uh, piece of work. Yeah. And so the, the secret sauce is not necessarily in the algo. It's in the clinical work that was done to upon which the algorithm was based. To validate and verify. Exactly. Right. Yeah. We can, and because it's an AI-based software, we continue to learn. So every time we do another one of these uh, validation cases, it goes back into the algorithm to tighten it up. And so without that, that linkage to tissue, it'd be very difficult for anybody to replicate that. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. And it's amazing to see these technologies come to market. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what this all looks like five, 10 years from now. You know, you, you say that there's with elemental, the, the elemental component of, of kind of guessing what the strength of the wall is. It's kind of what they're doing now, right? Or what you guys are doing yeah. now is, is guessing. And that's, you know, I, I think that's what we're trying to get away from. And so... That's why I've been so excited about what you guys are doing. Great leadership team over there, Mitch, CEO, uh, Bob, the, the chief commercial officer, and then obviously you at the helm of the medical side. Couldn't be more excited for you guys. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I'm glad we finally were able to get this on the calendar. And um, I know you guys have some exciting uh, things going going on on the on the funding side of things. So we'll be looking forward to to hearing about that. And and uh, would love at some point for you to come back on the show uh, and do a recap, maybe a year or two from now, once you uh, once you guys get get commercial. Absolutely, Mike. We're pounding the pavement, and uh, you'll be hearing from us soon. Appreciate it. That's it for this edition of the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health. Look forward to catching you guys next time. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Listen, if you enjoyed the show, please hit that subscribe button and leave us a review and rating. That'll let others know the show is definitely worth checking out. Also, if there's a product, company, or trend you'd like to see featured on the show, just shoot me an email. My address will be in the show notes. Take care and I'll catch you next time.